0: Hey there, Martin. Yes, I'm here. Can you I see me? I can't see you. All I can see is your background.
1: Oh, that's a bit weird then, isn't it? The that? invisible man himself. I can see that it's only got the background, so... Your camera doesn't recognise your face as a face. Ah, there it is. Hello. That's better. Now it's better before you can hide again. <laughs> right, I'll go back. I'll go back. I'll go back. Cool. So, uh, shall we bang on, get this uh, one in the shall can Shall we start, and, abusing uh, and, uh, start abusing each other? as usual?
0: Start abusing each other? Yes, certainly. I'll get the whips and chains.
2: <laughs>
0: <laughs> Just a typical night in Colchester.
2: stuff. <laughs> shall I make a start then? Yes, please, Paul. I think we should, don't you? Hello and welcome. Off to... you go. Ah, <laughs> oh, that's better, <that's> Tim. <laughs> that's better. Hello and welcome. Very lily and armful. Sorry. Oh, should I take a run at it? <laughs> yeah, I think Hello. you should. He...
3: <laughs> This isn't the BBC Light programme.
1: The Tony Hancock Appreciation Society presents Very Nearly an Armful, a Tony Hancock
2: podcast. Hello and welcome to Very Nearly an Armful, brought to you by the Tony Hancock Appreciation Society. On the show, we'll be discussing Tony's
0: famous series, Hancock's Half Hour. We'll discuss the show, its production, and what we liked about it.
1: We rate and review the episode and just generally get our geek on about vintage
4: comedy. We're your hosts. I'm James Griffith. I'm Matthew Gibbons. I'm John Street.
0: And I'm Tim Elms. We're spread across the south of the UK in a line from Wiltshire to Essex via Kent. And our members are spread all over the world. We have members as far afield as Malaga. <laughs> Sorry, start again. And our members are spread all over the world. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> bloody streets going to keep that in the edit now isn't it yes, you never
2: know. <laughs> i think that's very likely
0: <laughs> Been to malaga. we have members as far afield as malaga in spain zurich in switzerland and dublin in ireland and
1: one or two in east team i should expect in this podcast we'll be reviewing one of the most critically lauded radio episodes the poetry society from the sixth and final radio series it also has the added bonus of Warren Mitchell and Fenella Fielding in the cast. This was first broadcast on the 8th of December 1959, having been recorded some months earlier, on Thursday the 15th of June from 9.30 to 10.15 in the evening.
4: First of all, chaps, how's everyone's week been? And what have
0: you all been up to? Funny to say that.
1: Yeah, yeah. not too so bad.
0: Busy,
4: Busy with work
1: and uh, playing with editing a podcast myself.
0: I think I've been quite busy doing hancocky stuff there's a few projects we're working on here at Hancock Towers, uh, which have kept me uh, fairly busy certainly so uh, yeah quite a lot going on at the moment and uh, there'll be some announcements in the coming months about some of the things we're doing well i, I
1: woke up at four o'clock this morning with terrible terrible stomach aches so i'm feeling a bit bit naff today but uh, i've persevered and i think i'm beginning to rally now that it's uh, eight o'clock of the evening so that's a bit of a night nice bonus
4: we were we uh when we released the first episodes of the new podcast this week and our whole household got struck down with norovirus. oh damn that weekend so we were wiped out for quite a period of time because one person gets it and then a couple of days later someone else and then someone else the kids and before you know it, it's going around in a massive circle uh a not very nice circle but we're all better now.
0: How do you know it's norovirus? Did you have tests for it or something? No tests for it. But it's just going around a lot of the work um,
4: and at schools and stuff like that. So yeah. it is going down. It's a variant of norovirus, but
1: it's the problem when the world's open, people breathing all over each other, isn't it? You know, such is the way,
4: unfortunately.
2: Yeah, there's a lot of that horrible stuff about.
4: But apart from that, I've just been planning a house move and uh, a trip to South Africa at the end of this month to Johannesburg.
2: Oh, that sounds very exciting.
4: Yeah. I'm, gonna, I'm only there for about five days, but I'm going to see if I can find the place where Sid James was born. Just see if I can find it. I don't know. Johannesburg's a big place.
0: Hancock Street, wasn't it? It was
4: Hancock Street. It was. Yeah. So I'm going to see if I can find it. I might get some pictures if I, if I see any signs and stuff like that. That'd be
0: fantastic. I don't know how much
4: downtime I'll have. Probably not a lot because it's a work trip, but
0: yeah, we'll see.
4: Looking forward to it, though.
0: Bill Kerr was uh, born there as well. And and more a listener.
1: Absolutely, yeah. Mm. Yeah, well, as well, it's, it's bizarre synchronicity that Hancock Streets, where old Solomon Cohen was born, as uh, Sid's mm. original name was. So uh, interesting stuff. I hope you have a, a lovely time and uh, get to enjoy a bit of nice weather out there as well, rather than the yeah horrible, miserable, grimy rain we've got at the moment.
2: Yeah, that would be good, and and a you know picture of um, picture of the street would be really good.
4: I'll try and find it, and I'll send it to you guys.
2: So much the same as. Tim, I've been involved in the Hancock projects this week as well, so that's uh, that's very definitely kept me busy as well, and uh, experienced a trip to the office back in London uh, today. So uh, there's one thing that is very consistent, and that's the railway service isn't very good. So uh, <laughs> <laughs> some things don't change. No, some things never do. Well, I, I uh,
1: following our chat the other week, we were talking about chroma dot recovery and uh, how that was used on um, Morecambe and Wise. And of course, uh, it was used on Dad's Army, and I, I located the episode, which was, uh, I think it's called Room at the Bottom, in which is the one that they recover the colour of and broadcast some 15 years ago or so ago, and um, with a nice little introduction from um, Ian Lavender, and he's uh, it only black and white on the box set, so I quite enjoy watching that one in colour again, because it's been a, a few years since I've uh, I've seen my... DVDR of it that I taped at the time, so that
2: was quite pleasant. But where is the colour, if it's on black and white film, filmed from a black and white TV set?
0: Well the original pictures were in colour from the videotape and these were fed to the monitor without the colour signal being filtered out. So entirely accidentally the colour information ended up on the film as a pattern of very fine dots which we call chroma dots. And if you look very closely you can see the dots on the film. And you can use these dots to make a new colour copy. That's right. We scan the film in high definition and then use software to analyze the dots and decode them. The weave pattern of the dots gives us the colour, and the intensity of the dots gives us how strong the colour is. And that's it, all done.
5: What's gonna happen? what's happened to Mr. Manorin then? Well, Mr. Mannering is no longer a member of this platoon. That isn't
0: strictly accurate, Sergeant. Go! <laughs> when I was First, informed that I was no longer to be your commanding officer, I must admit that my first reaction was to go away quietly. And then I thought, no, the defense of this town must come first. This country needs every able bodied man it can get. And I was very proud to lead you as Captain Mannering. I shall be equally proud to march in your ranks as Private Mannering. I think I said on a previous podcast that I've been uh, watching some of the old Steptoe episodes on Britbox and they're all on Brit. I've got the DVD box set. I think I've said this before. I often, even though I've got the DVDs when it's on Britbox, it just seems a bit easier. But I was, I was intending to start from the beginning and I watched some of the old black and white ones. But um, last night I skipped forward to some of the colour ones from the later because I, I actually love those episodes from Series Seven, the one where they have the family funeral. Oh, what a beautiful morning, I think that one's called, That's isn't That's tr- yes. right. And the
2: and strategically placed hat.
1: If you're really interested, the only worthwhile thing here is that
4: porcelain figurine on the mantelpiece.
5: That is a lovely piece.
4: Hustle emojis, that is. 18th century.
5: Put your bowler hat
0: over it. <laughs>
1: yes. yes. <laughs>
0: And uh, the other one, when the vicar comes round and invites contributions for the parish magazine, and uh, the old man does the crossword. Yes, and the vice squad impounded, don't yes, they? I think, yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. <laughs> all the swear
0: words. And my favourite one is "Divided We Stand," where Harold cuts the room in half so that they have a each has their own home, and um, comes out with the famous line when uh, that they share the television, and the television is being shared through this wooden partition that goes down the middle of the room. And um, Harold says, "Oh, it's um, he says it, it's my turn to choose what we watch on the television tonight." He says, "I've I've got the law of contract on my side," and the old man says, "Yeah, but I've got the knobs on my side."
5: I want BBC too, well, I don't. You'll be very unfair about this, you know. I mean, we had an agreement. We shook hands. I've got the law of contract on my side. I have the knobs on my side. <laughs>
2: Nods on my side. It's, yeah, it's yeah, it's great, brilliant, isn't it?
0: brilliant, absolutely brilliant. One of my favourite all-time step-toe gags. That is, it's really good. That is a
2: brilliant gag. It's a fantastic episode. That series also has got the brilliant porn yesterday with the yes. What the fuck, the Saw Machine yes. and yeah. Harold from his uh, youth appearing in the in the film that's on the in the What What the Butler Saw Machine. What is he got to do with
5: that loofah? <laughs> 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 He's doing
2: his pieces
5: now. Are <laughs> oh, you what, demon! He looks a bit like you. <laughs> he looks a lot like you. <laughs> you dirty old man! <laughs> uh, it is you. No, I can explain. It is you. <laughs> that is you, indeed. You don't understand. It was all out of work. How could you law yourself?
2: And I love the way it finishes off with the, the vicar charging yeah. however much extra when he knows it's Steptoe for autographs at the end. It's a great punchline.
3: I didn't know your father was famous. What has he done?
5: Oh, you might as well see them. Everybody else said, Autographs, two shillings each.
1: And when he sees the pictures, he puts it up to two shillings per autograph, doesn't he? You know, so. Uh, That's right. Young Albert Steptoe must have had quite the physique, one imagines, you know. But, yeah, those colour series were often repeated, weren't they, in the 80s and 90s, so yes, the most well-known yeah. ones. But the black and white ones on the discs, unfortunately, have a lot of um, film grain and picture wobble and all things like that. So I have got some uh, vid-fired and motion-adjusted restored copies.
0: One of the good things about watching Steptoe is that particularly in the old black and white episodes, you see a lot of the cast members who are also in Hancock's Half Hour. It's as though Gordon Simpson just carried on, didn't they? I mean, a lot of people have... Uh, have said that uh, Harold and Albert Steptoe are a continuation of uh, Hancock and Sid. And at the same time, they seem to have brought in other cast members as well. You know, people like Damaris Hayman, I was was in one I was watching the other night, and people like that, you know. And it seems that every episode you watch, someone comes and you think, oh, yes, they were in Steptoe.
1: the few of the old Duncan Wood repertory company. Yeah, you know?
0: yeah,
4: yeah. There are some parallels, on there? But obviously, same writers, obviously. But you've got the, you know, when the vicar comes around, the level of respect they give the vicar... Yes, um, you yeah, know, plied them with drink.
2: Yeah, yeah, and of course the recurring character of Dolly Clackett.
0: Yes, do you actually see her in Steptoe and Son? Because you don't see her in, in. She's never seen in Hancock, is she? Yeah, she's
1: in that one with um, Timothy, the antique dealer. I think. Ah, right, the end. right. Because uh, the old man thinks he's gone off with Timothy.
3: He's a very cultivated and a cultured man. He might be a bit arty crafty.
1: Yeah, I think the character's in there because he does need to go off and meet her and she comes along going, Here, Harold, you left your rambag at mine.
3: Hey, you, uh, you know Dolly, don't you,
5: Dad? Hello, Mr. Sleptow. Well. Hello. Here, Harold, this your rambag? Yeah, where'd you find it? You left it round my place last night. Yeah,
2: I thought
1: I'd lost bit. I think that's Dolly, yeah. Right. So she does have a face. I think that's probably the only time she appears is in that one. Yeah, played by a young Dolly Bird. So uh, that's always nice.
2: Well, I'm continuing to um, work my way through One Foot in the Grave. No, I don't believe it! I'm um, thoroughly enjoying it. We've now got uh, Angus Dayton as, uh, as, as the neighbour making a regular appearance. So, uh, yeah, it's all good stuff. Really enjoying that. He's very good, Angus Dayton, at that, isn't he? He's very good. He's, he's, yeah. Very good. Yeah. Very, very deadpan. I've just watched the one where uh, he machine guns a lorry full of gnomes at the end. We watched that the other night, yes. <laughs> I could yeah. just, just imagine the script going to the props department and they say, you know, what, what do you need? Oh, um, 150 gnomes.
1: <laughs> and for those listeners who don't have BritBox to watch it, it is all on the iPlayer at the moment, I believe. I Certainly I found a few clips on, on the iPlayer that I popped into last podcast of the lovely sarcasm you get um, from uh, uh, Angus. Angus's sarcastic retorts
2: just as we were delicately sliding the 1924 classic from its box, the cork suddenly took it upon itself to fly, unsolicited, up my father-in-law's nose. (laughs) (laughs) And something closely resembling carbonated cat's urine started dribbling down the sides of the bottle.
4: I talked to my brother about it and um, he went down to Christchurch in Dorset where it was filmed and he actually knocked on some doors for his podcast and uh, spoke to the current residents of the houses in question.
0: Fantastic. So
4: apparently they got paid, I think they got paid £500 a series for use of the house when that sort of shots of outdoors. But the people who were in there at the moment, when they bought it, they didn't realise it was ever used for it until they sort of watched it, you know, a few years later.
0: Uh, oh, it's our house on telly! <laughs> yeah, great. That's incredible. Be quite a surprise, yeah. would not it? Mm. I was down in Christchurch last week. I, I would have popped in oh, had I known. Well, it's not far from me, Tim. Really? Give me a yeah. Oh right, I it's didn't about know an hour you were away there.
4: from me. Oh right, right. I got a couple of pubs down there that I look after. So
0: right, right. Well, we we, we stayed in Lymington. We had a couple of days in Lymington, and uh, we. As part of that, we popped over to Christchurch on Monday and had a look around because we'd never been there before. So I was there. Oh, you should have given me a call. Maybe next time. I'd have got a free meal and a drink in the pub, had I known. Absolutely, Tim.
1: <laughs> <laughs> no, you'd still be doing the washing up now. Um...
4: <laughs> <laughs> for, anyone, for anyone I work with, um, I definitely wouldn't have given away free food. Indeed. <laughs> Indeed. I would have lent in my staff discount card. <laughs>
0: Well, it's funny, my wife's family come from uh, Ricelip and when I first got to know them and first started going over to that part of the world, we was going down a, a road in Northwood, um, which is sort of the, the, the next bit along uh, from Lip. and my wife, the suddenly turned around and said, oh, that's where they filmed The Good Life. And I thought, what? <laughs> I didn't realise. And it's the street that, um, I think in The Good Life, it's called the Avenue in Surbiton, but the real street is in... Um, northwood in middlesex i can't remember the name of the street now i did know it uh, but yeah so we actually drove down the street where it was i mean it, it looks you know, a million times different than, than it did in in the good life days obviously the houses are still there but when you watch the good life you get about one car parked on each side of the road as you go down now it's obviously just um, bumper to bumper cars parked everywhere you know it's just uh, with every every house has four
4: there is an episode of one, one Foot in the Grave where Victor has a, par- there's a party and they all go to the wrong house because it's a very similar, I think it's like a oh, sim- yes. the same number. That's but right. that is actually a genuine problem on that street. Um, so the guy who lives in the current old Victor's old house says that Post always goes to that house down the road. So it's was actually a genuine problem, which I thought was quite interesting. Oh,
2: that mm. is interesting.
1: Yeah, I have seen that one. Reality, aping, fictional, vice versa, one of the two.
2: My favourite My favorite scene from- from one for thinking of cars was where he says you always always end up with a, a Citroen 2cv and you skip and he opens the <laughs> curtains and there is a, there's a car <laughs> strategically parked put it first into his stick. yeah just a brilliant a brilliant sketch
1: It certainly is some of the bizarre things that happen to him no wonder the poor man's frustrated with the world he seems to have the worst luck doesn't he you oh, know he i think we'll be a bit like victor Maldry in that situation <laughs> wouldn't we <laughs> I guess now it's time for the Hancock headlines.
2: So we got a little bit of news for the podcast, Martin? Yeah, we've got quite a big piece of news. So hot on the heels of the Tony Hancock show being released on DVD... We've just been advised that Hancock's 1963 ATV series, just simply called Hancock, is also coming out on DVD. Uh, it's again through Kaleidoscope, which is um, the website's TV brain. It's the complete series of the 1963 episodes, so it's, it's 13 episodes in total. Well worth looking out for. Uh, it's on pre-order
1: already. Yes, looking forward to that coming out on DVD 15th of July, and then I think it's going on Amazon a bit later in the year in October, November time.
2: I think it's the uh, beginning of October, you know, and this is a series that's been long talked about by Hancock fans. And I think there's about four or five of them, possibly even six, that are available, you know, sort of off-air copies available.
5: You must
3: understand it's very difficult to get good staff these days. Oh, rubbish, it's just a lack of discipline. I've watched this shop going down for years. When I was a lad, me and mummy, mummy and me, and I, <laughs> we used to come here when they knew how to treat a customer. It was always, good morning, me lady. Oh, good morning, young sir. I say, hate the young master took it elegantly in his heat and jacket. I suppose he'll be off to Oxford soon. Could I be of any service to your good selves, a quarter of tea? Certainly, I'll send it out on the electric pentecticum. Too late, then I'll bring it myself on foot. After all, you only lives about seven miles out, don't you? (laughs) Yes, well, all that's in the past. Yes, more's the pity. I tell you, I've considered closing my account, and my family have traded here for over a 100 years. You have an account here, sir? Yes, I have. What name? Hancock, Tony. Hancock. Yes, the bookkeeper mentioned your name this morning. It seems there's
5: been an outstanding account.
3: Yes, 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 quite, quite, quite.
2: No need to change the subject. But this DVD will be transfers from original films held by the Hancock family. So many, many thanks to Lucy Hancock and the family for giving permission for these to be released.
0: And altogether it's 13 episodes, isn't it,
2: Martin? It's, it's 13 episodes, yes. Yeah. We, we yeah. believe there might be some additional material added, but we're just waiting for confirmation on what that might be. But But for certain there will be 13 episodes of the 1963 series included so it's uh, a really exciting release and really looking forward to having a look
5: oh good evening sir good evening i'm
3: looking for a nurse well don't you think we should find out what's wrong with you first <laughs> no you don't understand i just want to speak to her for a moment well this is a hospital not a social club i said speak not the next dance <laughs> we won't get far with that attitude well you started it mm. this nurse i take it is a friend of yours naturally her name Ferrer. Brown eyes. Yes, we have more than a hundred nurses here, at least twenty five per cent of whom have fair hair, either by accident or design. Now, would you like me to arrange for them to parade past you in single file? No, just an informal group?
1: Yes. <laughs> and for more news on that, please visit www.tonyhancock.org.uk and www.tvbrain.info.
0: I had a bit of news this week in that um, I was contacted by the family of Damaris Heyman, who said, oh, uh, we're going through Damaris's stuff. And we found a scrapbook she kept of Hancock, press cuttings and things. Oh, wonderful. So, yeah, I was really pleased. So uh, I went back and said, oh, thank you very much, et cetera, et cetera. And, and it turned up in a post this week. So uh, we've got a lovely collection of cuttings. They're mainly from the, the later part of his life. And uh, uh, a lot of the cut-ins, you know, relate to his passing and stuff like that. Damaris met him, I think, in, in the late 60s when she worked on the ATV series Hancocks, uh, which was set in a nightclub, wasn't it? That was 67, I think mm. it was. 67, yeah. So she, she was actually a very close friend of Hancock, and she used to read to him and things like that, and they used to discuss philosophy together. She even used to read to him Winnie the Pooh. So they they became very good friends indeed, and like many people, she used to keep press cuttings and things like that, so we have a, another little collection now to uh, put on the table when we have a display at our events and things, so they're very pleased about that.
1: Yeah, that's brilliant. Fantastic stuff, and yes, we've got a reel-to-reel tape in our archives as well, haven't we, of uh, of her reading, I think it's Socrates, Philosopher in Meditation.
0: That's right, yeah. Which
1: she recorded onto tape to give to Tony to take to Australia, but we Presumably he didn't take it with him because the family still had it and donated it to us some years later, as I understand. So,
0: Yes, I think it was actually his housekeeper had it. Ah. And the chap who donated it to the society was related down the line to the housekeeper. The housekeeper's, needless to say, had passed on and it had come down through the family. And then this, it eventually passed to this chap who contacted us. Because they knew it was Hancock, but they, they didn't know much more than that. So we actually were the proud possessors of a tape recorder, could actually play it, and it was Tom, our uh, editor of our magazine, who suddenly realised it was Demaris's voice on the tape. Uh-huh. So but they didn't know what it was, and and then we realised that she was reading this uh, Plato, or whatever, and then the background story sort of came out from there. So that that was a great a great find for us.
2: The Apologia of Socrates. I do not know what effect my accusers have had upon you gentlemen, but for my own part I was almost carried away by them, their arguments were so convincing. On the other hand, scarcely a word of what they said was true. I was especially astonished at one of their many misrepresentations. I mean when they told you that you must be careful not to let me deceive you, the implication being that
3: I am a skilful speaker.
0: Derek on Twitter, who who runs a Twitter account called Archive TV Musings, put a press cutting on, on Twitter a week or two ago, which I thought was quite interesting. And it came from the Aberdeen Evening Argus. And it was a review of Star Bill, which was the programme that Hancock did before Hancock's Half Hour, which was written by Gordon Simpson. And the press cutting starts by saying, you know, this Tony Hancock chap is is quite good, blah de blah blah. But it then goes on to say that um, Alan Simpson and and Ray Galton are at present scripting star bill and a very good job they are making of it too. More prominence should be given to scriptwriters in my opinion, they deserve it. And I thought that's quite interesting because it was actually Galton and Simpson who, who contributed significantly to changing the role of scriptwriters and getting them noticed because you know, as this press cutting implies, in days gone by, scriptwriters were in the background, they were shadowy figures, and no one had ever heard of them. You know, many people who listened to the radio assumed that comedians were making it up as they went along. Even now, people assume that, you know, when they see comedians on the telly, that uh, they're standing there making it up. But uh, you can't do a comedy act without a good script, even if the performer writes the script themselves. But as I said, in those days, there were shadowy figures in the background, and Gorton and Simpson. Became stars in their own right, if you like, and particularly when Steptoe and Son came along. And if if you've got the DVD of Steptoe and Son, you look at the front cover; it actually says Gault and Simpson, Steptoe and Son.
1: Well, exactly. I mean, they they first got there; they were the first scriptwriters to get their name above the title when they yeah. did Comedy Playhouse, which is where Steptoe and Son hailed yeah. from, of course. Yeah. So, That's right, yeah, yeah, They were the first mm. superstar comedy scriptwriters, really. I
0: suppose. Yes.
2: Yeah. And then the later series they did on ICV also had their name in the title, and the, the 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 couple of series they did on the Radio Four all featured their their names. And it's uh, yeah, it was it was unheard of back in the fifties. And another
0: bit of uh, interesting gossip you may remember in the last podcast we had a bit of fun by talking about Bond Street in relation to Hancock in the police, and I said that in fact there's no place in London called Bond Street; it's Old Bond Street and New Bond Street. And I, I said in the podcast. John, you'll be getting a call from me later saying, can you edit that out? It's all a load of nonsense. But in fact, I checked on it after the podcast to make sure. And I was absolutely right. There, there isn't a Bond Street. There's old Bond Street and there's new Bond Street. But I went on to Google Maps. On Google Maps, I typed in Bond Street, London, and it came up. And one of those little uh, red blobs come up and it said, um, Bond Street, iconic shopping street for luxury goods and items. But then it was located in Leytonstone, East London. So so, someone obviously incorrectly tagged it. So there is a street called Bond Street, but it's nowhere near Oxford Street or the West End. It's in Leytonstone in the East End. And for, for some reason or another, someone has tagged it as the Bond Street of luxury goods fame, which, of course, it isn't. But I found that quite amusing. So that's not where you're going to go and get your Christmas shopping then, Tim. No. Well, yeah, I imagine that all these tourists, you know, coming over here saying, oh, we need to go to Bond Street and putting it into Google Maps and ending up in Leightonstone, you know. Go there looking for Pandora
1: bracelets <laughs> and find themselves at a dry cleaners or something. Yes. Dirty dicks, maybe. <laughs>
0: <Yeah>. <laughs> Might do
1: it closed down before the war.
0: <laughs> With all due
1: respect to the people who
4: live in Leightonstone.
1: <laughs> ah, fascinating stuffs. Have we had any emails in or tweets that you've had through Jess? Yes yes yeah, so breaking
4: news breaking news
0: we've had quite a few haven't we john
4: <laughs> yeah we have we've now we've had the uh, our first episodes went live about 10 11 days ago so in the last podcast which hasn't been released at the time of recording this i did put up a tweet asking if anyone's got any tenuous links to hancock so we had quite a few interactions that was quite interesting so uh, Liam Dempsey on Twitter said uh, he grew up in Bournemouth, he used to frequent Hancock's, the bar, at the hotel where he used to live. Um, so I checked there was a Hancock's bar in Bournemouth, which I will have to find next time I'm in Bournemouth.
0: I think some of our members went to the opening of that, James, when they first really
4: that. yeah. Oh, I, I was going to ask you, yeah. What do you know about it?
0: That was the hotel where originally the Hancock family owned it, and it was also the hotel where the Society used to hold its annual dinners oh okay and i have seen in an old copy of the missing page a bit before my time that people went there i think at the opening and they had a bit of a bash down there whatever um do you remember that martin you've been a member longer than i have
2: yeah but I, i don't remember the opening
1: right right it was probably a while back wasn't it yeah
4: yeah, someone else used to drink uh, Used to drink occasionally with a guy who as a kid shared those ice creams with Hancock in The Punch and Judy Man. So that's quite a tenuous link. Nicholas Webb? Yeah. He used to be the youngest member of the society uh, in the 80s. I don't know, I thought maybe John might have rivalled that, to be honest. But... I,
1: I think we've got a nine-year-old <laughs> somewhere. Well, no, I can't remember how old... Um young david is but he's secondary school now so he must be about 11 or 12 but i think yes. he's, he comes along to a lot of our
0: bashes with his dad and mum so uh well i've got a boy, nice. boy at home who's nine who wants to join so we, we also had a young lady join us at christmas who is 14 really her mum bought her a gift subscription for christmas so uh that's, that's, nice, that's fantastic mate. yeah
1: fantastic yeah that is that is brilliant I was just probably going to say as well, the Hancock's Bar, that must be in Hotel Celebrity, formerly the Durleston Court Hotel, um, just for, for listeners who don't know. But yeah, nice to have some fresh blood. I'm not
0: sure if it's still there,
1: is it? Well, the hotel's still there. I'm not sure if the yeah. bar... They used to have a, a whole set-up and display, but I'm not sure if it, if they've still got the display. They might still have the name of the bar, though. No,
4: they've still uh, they got the name, and I think they've got... It looks like a bit of an event hall now. It, it seems it's got that feel about it in terms of bands and what have you playing.
0: They, they have got a display there because I went down there two or three years ago and we did a little news item for um, Southern Television about uh, Hancock at the time. And we did some filming in that hotel and they've got a little display in a cabinet of they've got well, I think they've got one of the Gorton Simpson typewriters and some other bits and pieces and things like that. So uh, but uh, yeah, the society used to have their dinners there some time ago, but um, we moved on to other places since then. Mm. Another one,
4: Andy. Andy Smith's uh, Tony's nanny, Elsie Sparks, was a regular customer in the Winton branch of Sainsbury's, where I worked as a teenager, which I thought was a, a lovely one.
0: That's a fantastic. I think if we're given a prize for tenuous link of the week, I, I think that that's is the one. one. Yes.
4: <laughs> uh, we got a we got an email from uh, Robin Spicer, who's is really enjoying the podcast, and he wants to know: uh, Is he right in thinking that Harry Seacum stood in for Tony when he was unwell? Oh. Uh, and why did they choose Harry Seacomb? It seems odd choice. Um, and is he right in thinking all that all the all the recordings of Harry are lost?
0: Yep. All those there was three or four programs. I mean, Hancock wasn't so much ill as he absconded. Hancock suffered from stress and anxiety quite a lot, and he was going through a contract wrangle at the time with a bloke called Jack Hilton, who, who ran the uh, theatre empire, of which um, Hancock was signed up to. And Jack Hilton and the BBC were tro- both trying to get Hancock signed up for television. And there was a bit of a dispute going on, and Hancock got stressed by it all, and he just um, jumped on a plane and flew off to Italy, just before a new radio series was going to start.
1: Disappeared to Italy and no one knew where else. Yeah. Yes.
0: So the producers had to decide what to do, and they decided to get someone in at short notice. And I think Harry Secom there was a couple of reasons. First, he he was kind of available. I mean, he was at the time doing a series of the Goon Show, so was around the studio. Uh, You know, he he wasn't sort of on holiday somewhere or at the other end of the country. He he was physically available, and they they did a deal with. seacom's agent i think i think originally he was only going to do one episode or whatever but um by all accounts he he did exceedingly well kenneth williams praised him to the hilt over it yeah i think williams williams said he was actually better than hancock but i think that was just williams being williams
2: yeah i mean i think um one of the one of the biography books it, it talks about if uh hancock didn't come back for the fourth episode the bbc were so pleased with harry that they thought they might rename the series seek Him's Half Hour." Uh, seek Him's
1: Half Hour, really yeah yeah and i suppose yeah. the main reason that harry would have been got in uh is because dennis may moulson the producer had previously produced the goons yeah yeah and and, the, and and harry as well was quite good friends with tony i mean they they christened harry's firstborn with a bottle of tizer and a bag of chips because everywhere else was yep. closed yeah so uh yeah it'd be amazing if quite a clip of that were to surface one day but for the time being we'll just have to do with Andy Seacom and doing his dad and uh Andy gave a very good performance in the missing Hancocks of those didn't he? 10
5: days in France 10 days and you're acting like you were born there rubbish you're imagining things France has had no effect on me at all it's just been another holiday have a snail yeah. Ah, how can you eat those things easy you dig them out with a knitting needle
0: so all those episodes are available on the missing handcocks and all of those are currently on bbc sounds or of course you can uh, go out and buy the cd
4: indeed no, i bought the cd i just need to convert it to put it onto my phone because unfortunately i haven't got a cd pair anymore such as life that's just,
0: that's just me showing my age james i should have said from your local download shop yeah. <laughs> do, you have, do, do you have a download shop? How do, you get, how do you go into a shop and buy a download? How does that work?
1: Well, you, you approach someone like me saying, can you put this on an audio tape for me, please? <laughs> <laughs> me and my four or five cassette players up in this room.
4: Yeah. I think you upload yourself from the sofa and then walk.
0: I, I'm in the process of going back to vinyl for my music, so I'm, I'm hoping to get my, all my comedy on vinyl as well.
1: On to our main subject of the Poetry Society. Uh, this is... Uh, quite a, a well-renowned one. I think it was Galton Simpson's favourite uh, episode, or certainly one of their favourites, up there with the Sunday afternoon at home in its uh, realism and everything. And I, I've always found it quite an entertaining listening. The poems in it
0: certainly stand out, don't they, guys? It's a great episode, and uh, it's another one from series six, which is the, the final series, which we mentioned earlier, which were a lot more real. One of the differences about this one, of course, is that it was done with no incidental music it was 30 minutes straight off now w- whether they had any breaks and sort of cut the tape on it i don't know but it, whenever you read about it in any of the books it always says it was done in real time but i i don't know if that's right i could see that actually i mean it sounds like it but you can never tell can you no there's a couple of times where
4: will cut uh, will bill cuts in a little bit too early, so it does right. sound like it's been done in, in one I think go. he
0: does that anyway. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, so, I'm sorry.
4: It was never one of my favourite episodes, to be honest. It was—I mm. I always found it a difficult listen. But I don't know if it was an age thing. But I do enjoy it now.
0: I think it's a terrific episode, but it's not—it's not my favourite. But I think it's a—it's no. a terrific episode. Yeah.
4: Yeah, it's certainly
1: up there, and I think it's often quoted because obviously it's a bit of a pastiche of arty-farty beatniks and things like that or Bohemians, or whatever the, the, the word is. Bohemians it is, isn't it? And the interesting yeah. thing with the music is I'd never noticed that it didn't have any musical links in it until I was reading my rereading reading a bit of Wilma earlier, and I was like, oh, yeah,
2: there isn't any musical links in there, is there? No, because it's one of the very few episodes, if not the only episode, that is just one scene with no, yeah. Time, yeah. No, no time gaps that you need a bit of music for or no change of scene. It's just one straight scene all the way through. Even Sunday afternoon at home has a scene change about five minutes from the end, doesn't it? So that's right. Where you where you've got the passage of time. Yeah, yeah. In Sunday afternoon. Yeah.
1: I know. Uh, I know the producer for this one, of course, was Tom Ronald, uh, who took over production. I can't remember which series. Series five, I think it was possibly. Um, but Tom Ronald had the same fight um, as previous producers had had with the assistant head of variety, Jim Davidson. Not that one. <laughs> to use incidental music because of the cost of using that music they sort of wanted to move to the music library so maybe they didn't use the music in this episode as a bit of a cost saving uh, sort of thing because apparently the budget was something like 463 pounds an episode which is about 10 grand in today's money wasn't a cheap show to make necessarily and um you know, they did it earlier in the year because it would have been concurrent with the TV series as well. So there's a, a lot of things that are different about this series than previous ones, aren't there?
0: Well, well uh, this thing about doing it earlier in the year is, is, is quite incredible, really, because I, mean, I think we spoke about this before. They did it early so it didn't clash with the TV series that was coming on uh, around about September time. And they, they wanted to get them done so that they could play them at a later date. And it's the first time they've done that. Normally, a show was uh, recorded on a Sunday night and went out on the tuesday or something so you know this is the first time when there was several months gap between recording and broadcast but more to the point they actually did a load of them in a very short time they actually did 13 episodes in three weeks which is quite an enormous conveyor belt so when they did this one the poetry society the previous episode the fate they'd only recorded the day before so they were going to and fro the studio you know virtually non-stop
1: yeah it's pretty impressive isn't it the speed it went mm.
2: and in fact the next episode was it was only another two or three days after that when it was recorded so it yeah. really was an, an incredible churn of um and, it, and so i think some of the episodes in the series were recorded in batches of two together
0: yes yeah yeah, believe yeah, so. yeah. Mm-hmm. and and it was it seemed to be a fairly laid back thing by them because they had been doing it for some years mm and this particular, when you when you look at the front of the script for this episode, it says rehearsal seven p.m. recording nine thirty p.m. Now, in uh, Cliff Goodwin's book, he had uh, apparently interviewed Fraser Kerr, and uh, the timings were a bit different in Cliff Goodwin's book. I'm not sure that Fraser uh, remembered them exactly, mm. but the nub of the story is that they they turned up. At the theatre, this was at the Playhouse um, in Northumberland Avenue. So, all the cast turned up sort of an hour and a half before recording. And at that stage, they had not seen a script and they didn't even know which characters they were playing. They were handed out the scripts and told what character they'd got. They had a quick read through when Sid James suddenly gets up and says, Right, everybody, we're wasting drinking time. Let's go down the pub. So, they all go around the Sherlock Holmes round the corner, which uh, I have to say, was, was one of my regular haunts at one time because I used to live in that part of London, uh, work in that part of London. Then they, they came back and uh, did a quick rehearsal. Then Hancock and James led the charge back down to the pub again. And then the call boy came and uh, got them at the pub sort of five minutes before the start and said, come on, the mics are up, you've got to get back. And uh, they went back and did it. And it all, all seems to be a very laissez-faire way of uh, producing a programme. But what they were saying was that at, at the read-throughs and the rehearsals, they didn't actually put a lot of effort into it, Hancock and James. They did it fairly, you know, routinely. And it was only at the final broadcast when they actually um, put their full might. I mean, I think Hancock did that normally. That was his way of doing things. And he would come alive once once he had an audience there and it was all being recorded, et cetera. But uh, yeah, it's quite, quite, an, quite an incredible program.
1: Yeah, maybe that was his method, you know, because if he's uh, Jing Jang Jolla green me purple him, purple all of that blah 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 doing it very much in that sort of yeah, toned yeah down exactly, way way yeah. meant that he could yeah. reserve that yes performance yeah. for his final thing because often it's said about tony that you know he'd, he'd give a great performance the first time and then it would yes. deteriorate if he was say shooting a tv series where they were doing yeah. retakes and things like that where that was possible then sort of hammer it to death a little bit um which might be some, slightly um unkind way of looking at it but uh, perhaps that was his method of getting the best performance is to just sort of bang through it quite mutedly to remember the words and well not remember the words they're reading a script but uh, to do it that way and then come alive for the final thing because that way you get a little bit more spontaneity in the final product
2: because i think there are other com- comments about other episodes that um, and i can't remember who it was in one of the biographies was saying that they'd gone along as a, as a guest, and they thought, well, this isn't really very funny, because it was such a, a flat read-through. And then, of course, it all came to life, and it was brilliant for the actual broadcast. So, as you say, it's, it reserved it, I think, for the, for the broadcast.
0: Peter Goodwright said that, didn't he, about the
2: impersonator? Ah, uh, it was Peter, was it? I knew there was, yeah, it, it yeah. had been said, yeah, that it was a very flat read-through, and then it was a brilliant performance. Yeah, because I think I think Peter
0: Goodwright mentioned it to Gorton and Simpson on the night. He was, he said, "I'm a bit worried about this. What's going wrong? Am I doing something wrong?" And they just laughed and said, "Don't worry." They said, "When it when it starts for real, it'll be different altogether." And Goodwright said, "It's absolutely correct." Yeah, definitely shades
4: of the Rebel um, in some of the characters. I'd say.
0: Oh, definitely. Oh, without a doubt. Yeah, which was filmed. For, I can't remember which way round it was. Had had they done the Rebel by this stage? Well, I don't think so. I mean, this was filmed the
1: summer of '59, so the Rebel was filmed presumably in late early
4: 61 early 60
0: i should 60, say
2: 60 yeah, yeah 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 so this yeah this is definitely before the rebel
4: yeah yeah it's almost like testing the water isn't it i guess it is yeah
2: yeah
1: i believe the rebel came out in about june of 1960 wasn't it approximately it was the middle of the year as well so or uh, something like that
0: might have been march anyway well I, yeah, yeah. yeah.
1: I have a feeling it was June for some reason. I don't think we know the exact date of the premiere, but that might just be me. <laughs> <laughs> but you've got a, an excellent guest cast as well, you know. You've got Fenella Fielding in her only you know, Hancock performance, and she, she plays uh, a sort of weirdy quite well. I wonder if she was uh, dressed up as they describe with the painted nails and the... Uh... I've
5: seen some birds of my Look at that, all lank hair and wooden beads.
3: By the way, dear, I know it's against all group ethics to consider such things important, but I must say I, I like your turnout tonight. Oh, thank you. Do you really? Oh, yes. Very individual. The elongated eyebrows touching the ear rolls certainly gets me going. <laughs> and the blue lipstick sets it off marvellously. I think without a doubt you're the weirdest looking one here tonight. <laughs> oh, that's very kind of you. I do my
1: best. Eyebrows that meet the ears. <laughs> yeah. You're the weirdest one here.
0: There's a story about Daz Army when when they did the radio version that um, the producer wanted them to wear their army uniforms for the benefit of the audience and and the cast rebelled against it. So don't be stupid. You don't don't dress up for radio. But I I think it'd be good if they did dress up for these sorts of things. And uh, I I can't I can't imagine them uh, dressing up in 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 the costumes that they were describing in the episode. But having said that, I think they probably look quite smart. Not like now when you go to a radio show being recorded. Um, you know, the people on the stage look very much like the cleaning staff, don't they? In fairly stuffy appearance.
1: Well, unless you've been to see the missing Hancocks, they they all wore sort of 1950s Absolutely. style suits, yeah. that, didn't they? And uh, ball gowns and everything.
0: Because that's how Hancock would have done it. You know, they. I, mean, I can't imagine Hancock doing a, a radio show without wearing a suit and a tie. You often see pictures of him in, in a... Uh, jumper with holes in and stuff But that was normally rehearsing for TV shows But I don't think he yeah. would have stood He wouldn't have stood in front of any audience Whether it's radio, stage or TV or whatever Without yeah. being properly attired Good grief
2: That's right wouldn't, wouldn't
1: be wearing his ordinary everyday run-of-the-mill clobber
3: But to we bohemians It's quite normal everyday
2: run-of-the-mill clobber <laughs> <laughs> No, that's right I mean, Even for the missing Hancocks Even the sound effects lady was dressed up in a 1950s style dress Yeah You know, yeah. Looking, you know d- dressed up to the
1: occasion of course, in the TV show, he was always wearing cardigans with holes in because that was the character. He was penniless, a penniless actor, wasn't he, for the most part? Except yes. when he wasn't a penniless actor and he was, you know, travelling knife grinder or whatever it might be that week. <laughs>
0: Talking about Fenella Fielding, I, I found out a little bit of trivia about her when I was doing a bit of yeah. research for this. And uh, sometimes you think, oh, yeah, you know, so-and-so, is it, when you're looking up people from the past and you think, oh, yeah, they're in this and they in that. And I I really jumped out my chair tonight when I found out that Fenella Fielding was the village announcer in The Prisoner. And I never knew that.
1: Good morning, all. It's another
5: beautiful day.
4: Is your number six? Yes. Just one moment, I
5: have a
1: call for you.
3: Good morning, Joe. I hope you slept well. Come and join me for breakfast.
5: Number two.
1: The Green
5: Dome. You are number six. I am not a number. I am a free
1: man. She was uncredited at the time, I think. Yeah. Because
0: yeah. Yeah. I, I love The Prisoner, and I, I've got the box set out mm. on DVD, and I often watch it. I, I was quite horrified recently to see it's currently being shown on the Horror Channel, which um, I'd have thought it deserved uh, a better outing than that quite frankly but uh, well, it's, at least it's getting an airing i suppose it's, it's getting an airing but um it was i think we've mentioned it a couple of times because uh we've had a couple of hancock cast members been number two haven't we
1: mm, we have
0: and uh, we, we've remind me who they are john uh
1: that would be um our doctor in the blood donor is patrick cargill so Patrick Cargill, and the other one is the Doctor from the lift, whose name is temporarily escapes me. Yes, yeah, I can't quite remember, but yeah, there's a there's a bit of a crossover there. Yes, yeah,
2: uh, Colin Colin Gordon. Colin, Colin Gordon,
0: Gordon, that's it,
1: that's it. Uh, yeah. And if you if you like the Prisoner, the uh, big finished, the the audio production company did a, a remake, a sort of a remount of that with slightly different scripts, but uh, they actor who plays number six mark elstub does a very good um, sort of vocal similarity much like you know you're missing hancock's to um patrick mcgowan so that's a, that's an entertaining listen they've got quite a few interesting cast playing number twos in that as well where am I? In the village, in the village.
2: Désirez-vous un taxi, monsieur?
1: Take me away
3: from here. Where to? As far as you can go.
2: I heard this was your first day. And
3: my
1: last. Why'd you say that, number six? Don't call me that. It's just the number of a house I woke up in. What's that radio thing, John? Yeah, radio version, yeah, yeah. Oh right,
0: I didn't know
1: that. And Fanella, of course, as well, was in the comedy review Pieces of Eight with Kenneth. Kenneth was well. in about the same year as this was recorded, I believe. Yeah. I think we've got a programme
4: for that Carry On Screaming as well I always just picture in uh, Carry On films With Kenneth Williams That's how I had her in my head when I was listening to Rying Tonight
3: RYING TONIGHT
4: Ah! Yeah, when I was uh, listening to this episode Yes, because she's in a
1: couple She's in Carry On Screaming Which is a great, bizarre movie With Harry H. Corbett as well
5: They've gone Good did they suspect anything? Of course not. I went out of my way to behave perfectly normally. Oh, well,
3: that should be all right then, shouldn't it? But what
5: did they want? Oh, something about a girl disappearing in the vicinity.
3: Oh, that must be the one Oddbod brought back.
5: Oh, he got one, did he?
1: And um, the other one is Carry On Spying, I think she appears in. Sure. Both quite fun movies.
2: And she plays this quite exotic character, doesn't she, in um, Carry On Screaming, and you can just sort of see the connection with that character to the, to, to, to the character in the, in the Poetry Society.
4: You definitely can. It does link, doesn't it?
2: She's certainly a, a
0: sultry character in the Poetry Society, isn't she? And uh, Oh, she certainly is. Yeah. She certainly had a type, didn't she? <laughs> I love the way she flirts with Bill. What, what is it? She calls him a little savage or something? Prim- primitive little savage. LAUGHTER <laughs>
3: Intriguing little savage you
0: are. Bill, come
3: away,
2: come away. (laughs) And and then she talks about the vibration to Sydney. I feel the vibrations between us getting stronger, some blue and whatever colour. And he says, and Sid says, we'll sort them out later. All right, luscious, we'll sort them out later. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, It's just brilliant line.
3: Sydney, I feel the vibrations between us growing stronger and stronger. (laughs) Some red... Some
5: yellow You're yeah, right, some... we saw
1: them out later, eh <laughs> <laughs> And of course she was uh, I think she, well, she lived well, I mean, she, it was only a few years ago she died she was she lived to the grand old age of 19. she was still she just released her autobiography and was, uh, recorded an audiobook of it shortly before she died. A little audio book, so she was certainly a character and um, had, a, had a type, and I think that type is very much how she was cast in in the poetry
0: society. Oh yeah, without <laughs> a doubt. This episode sort of brings three things together. You've got the uh, beatnik thing. You've got the modern art movement, which, and we talked about uh, the rebel and stuff like that. But you've also got um, coffee shop culture, and they they go to a coffee bar done up like a graveyard, apparently, don't they, in in this episode?
3: Well, we meet every night down the coffee bar and we chat. I haven't seen you. Not the one you go to. Oh, no. Not El (laughs) Castaneto. That's bourgeois, that is. We go to the one done up like a graveyard. We sit on the old cardboard
0: tombstones, round the plastic coffins, and we indulge in philosophical analysis. And, and the other thing is, Hancock's obsession in real life with philosophy comes through on this, doesn't it? So uh, you sort of put all these things, all these three things together, and, and then you get this uh, fairly classic script with, uh, and I think part of it, of course, is, is the actual poems themselves. I mean, they're just- Of course, they're, yeah. They're just marvellous, aren't they? Salmon leaping. Yes.
3: <laughs>
2: Oh. Where jump I? Where jump I?
3: <laughs> Steel rods of reason through my head. Salmon jumping, where jump I? <laughs> <laughs> Camels on fire and spotted clouds. Striped horses plants the meadow wild and rush on to drink at life's fountains deep. Life is cream. I am puce, ching chang Chola.
1: <laughs> I don't know which I prefer if the of the three that are, uh, are done Incandescence by William The Ashtray by Anthony or Limbo by Sydney. I th-
0: I it's th- got to be Limbo by s- Limbo Yeah, Sydney's. Mauve
1: World Green Me Black Im Purple
5: World Green Me Black Im Purple Her <laughs> Yellow Us Pink You Beautiful, beautiful Lead Pipes Fortune Made <laughs> <laughs> Six to four, come in second. Green country, blue Aringay, and white city. Ick, cock.
0: Lead <laughs> pipes, made fortune. Fortune. fortune
4: made. Yeah, yeah. 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 Made. That
0: line, that is, that is the line of the episode, isn't it? Lead pipes, fortune made. Fortune it's, made. Just, it's just superb. Oh, I, I don't know. See, if you look at Paul Greeter now. Her perceptive
1: aura's gone for a Burton. I think that's got to be my favourite one. I love that one. Your vulgarity
5: shows exactly why we've cut ourselves off from the masses. always any superior. Go on, that's right, go on, show me up. It
3: was a mistake asking you to stay. Oh, for goodness sake, be quiet. All this quarrelling is interfering with my perceptive aura. <laughs> you see, you've upset Greeter now. Her perceptive aura's gone for a Burton.
4: <laughs> Bit of fantastic Warren Mitchell as well.
0: Whenever this comes up on Twitter and we talk about this episode, someone always says, I never knew that was Warren Mitchell. Yeah. You wouldn't know, would you, though?
5: This is the leader of our group, Gregory. Gregory what? Just Gregory. We never use surnames in our group. They're very bourgeois. I suppose you'll be leaving shortly.
3: For the purposes of this reading, I shall render it in
5: the original English. If it's anything like the other one, it won't really matter. <laughs> Do we have to have this died here?
0: What does he mean? Hit him, said. Now, people always associate him with Alf Garnett. They don't associate him with anything else, which is a bit of a shame. Um, but obviously, he he started out life on uh, Hancock's Half Hour, and like many supporting actors who went on to make their fame and fortune, they actually um owe it all to Hancock's Half Hour, really. Well, yeah. Because yeah, he was in several episodes
2: in this series,
0: wasn't he? He was in, altogether, he was in six TV episodes and six radio episodes.
1: He was. He was in the very early TV series. Yeah, in fact, in yeah. the first episode he was, he played Butch a junk shop owner in episode two of the uh, first TV series, which is lost. It was never recorded in the first place. And um, in the interaction in Butch's junk shop, where Tony's gone to buy some new canvases to paint on, uh, he completely dried. And uh, Warren prompted him or, or whatever, or sort of started saying the next line for him. And Tony was so grateful. I think he put an article in the press praising him and had him back for the rest of the series. And and yeah. was, yeah, very, very... Uh, um, he was a great actor, though, Warren.
0: Hancock was very generous to his friends and people like that, and that's just the sort of thing he would have done. And, and Warren, um, he spoke, I think, after Hancock died and that. You know, Warren said wonderful things about Hancock and how, how good he was to work with and all that sort of stuff. But he, he, he is uh, brilliant in this, and because uh, obviously in this series, um, uh, Kenneth Williams ha- has left, and, and you can imagine if he'd not left, he might have been asked to play this sort of character. And Warren Mitchell was brilliant in it, and and indeed he was also in this series. He was in the last bus home, wasn't yes. he? He was the bus bus conductor or whatever, throw, throwing him off the bus.
1: Which is slightly more Alf Garnet type voice, isn't yes. it? Than yeah. uh, you can yeah. recognise him as that, yes. but, but yeah. you know because you automatically assume Alf Garnet, You know he's got such a uh, an identifiable put on accent because Warren was, you know, a posh boy, wasn't he? So um, he uh, he didn't sound. Quite as uh, cockney as, uh, as the character in uh, Till Death part.
5: You're Jewish, aren't you? I ain't not Jewish! <laughs> you are! You know you are! And your grandfather's name was Solly Diamond. Life! It's a lie.
1: Yeah, he plays the Doctor as well, doesn't he, in um, Bill and Father Christmas, I think.
0: Mm. Yes. yes, that's right.
3: Yes, he does, yeah. yeah. Well, thank you. You've been a great help, Doctor. Not at all. It's a most interesting case. Trialhood fixations always fascinate me. Well, I must be getting back home now. I came out in the middle of my din-din, you know. <laughs> <laughs> You've got jelly and blancmange and things, and they're all different colours, and I'm going to stay up late tonight, and we're going to have a wonderful time. Ta-ta! <laughs> <laughs>
1: In quite a few, he's a wonderful chameleonic actor, I suppose, you know. Unless you know his voice, very
4: versatile, isn't he? Yeah,
1: very versatile, exactly. Yeah, he certainly pulls it out of the bag as Gregory or gregory
4: It does give the impression at the start when you hear people it's just like piling into the house, there's an awful lot of them, and they mention that they give the, the is it the grandmaster? Five hundred quid a year, so he doesn't have to work. Yeah, and he's and and his his assistant, assistant three hundred fifty. Three hundred and
3: fifty. Yes. The leader of the group receives some levies from the other members a remuneration of no less than five hundred pounds per year, so that he may be exempted from the need to work and may spend all his time on contemplation and intellectual pursuits. Five hundred a year, is this right, Gregory? Oh
5: yes, and his lieutenant gets three hundred and fifty. Who's his lieutenant? It says here the leader has the privilege of choosing his own lieutenant. At three fifty a year.
4: Yes, it's quite a lot, isn't it, back then? I don't. I don't want to get onto the touchy subject of maths and the conversion rate for. i want to start another war, but ten pound a week was an average wage, I think, in
1: the earlier fifties or mid fifties, probably. Times thirty. Times everything by
0: thirty. That's what you need to do.
4: Give or take, yeah. And it does give the impression that because there's um, the sound effect of people sort of mingling uh, at the start when he opens his door. So there sounds like there's quite a lot of people there. Obviously, there's only sort of three three characters, but
2: yeah, it's it's very well done. Sounds
4: like that would be a, a real winner. Hmm. Sid Sid clocks it, doesn't he?
2: Yeah, I think um, the longer episode that is available on that Hancock's mm. half-hour CD collection that's that or downloads that's uh, that's now available has got some some missing lines. It does uh, um, one of the lines talks about how many there are? Yeah, and. I've not remembered this. I've just got the script up. And Sid says, look at them. Three on the windowsill, two under the table. Bloody!
5: look at them. Three on the windowsill, two under the table, three upside down against the wall and seven on top of the bookcase. I think we'd better phone for the Addy Upwagon, have them taken away.
1: (laughs) Seven on top of the bookcase. And that extra recording, I can tell you where that came from. That is from the David Moore collection, as uh, mentioned in a 2005 edition of our magazine. And I think it was, fairly late on in the release of this that they came across that recording possibly i can't remember and i know it was what 2016 that the box set came out on disc so um it's an excellent addition but you can tell the sound quality differs in places
0: so this is another episode where the longer version is on the latest cd release but not on the cd box set that i've got that i bought some years earlier yes that's That's
2: right right. right. that wasn't about then hadn't been
0: found I think I'm going to have to get all my box sets replaced, aren't I? I think you might,
1: Tim. I think you might. (laughs) But, yeah, great that this extra, slightly longer recording, it's about 45 seconds longer or so, give or take. Um, There's a couple of extra bits there. The other one was ECCPS, and they're affiliated to the East Cheam Football Club because they're the only ones that lend them their shed.
3: The East Cheam Cultural Progressive Society, that's us. The ECCPS. (laughs) 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 Or the ECPAS, as we are known locally. (laughs) We're a breakaway from the Society for Nuclear Disarmament, allied to the Society for Moral Rearmament and affiliated to the International Committee for the Exchange of Cultural, Artistic and Intellectual Information, the World Fellowship of Progressive Thinkers and the East Gene Football Club. Actually, we haven't got much in common with them, but uh, we had to have somewhere to meet. They're the only ones who'd lend us their shed.
1: Uh, so that's another cut line that I quite enjoyed <laughs> from that episode. So do you think Bill actually wrote that poem? I, I suspect it might have been Ray and Alan's uh, creative writing there. No, I mean uh, in, in, in the
4: context of the story.
1: In the context of the story, I, I can imagine so, you know. Yeah. Incandescent by William. Hick! Heck, hock,
3: <laughs> rinky, tinky on purple grass, shafts of light, hobnailed boots tramping down the bamboo that grows upwards, downwards, sideways into the concrete cosmos. <laughs> Life is mauve, I am orange. Hick, heck, hock. <laughs>
0: I think, in the context of the story, none of them had time to sit down and write any poems because they were talking no. all the time. and all of a sudden, suddenly, well, yeah. I mean, it's one of those sort of continuity things that no one takes any notice of. But they suddenly, yeah. they suddenly pull out poems that they that they've sat there and written them apparently. Yeah, well, it's yeah. like
1: it's, it's like that line, isn't it? Where um, you know, take out the chairs and burn horrible suburban bric-a-brac, and then out yes. 90 seconds later he says a yeah. shame we took out the chairs and burnt them you could have had a nice sit down yes. <laughs> they, they yeah. went up in flames quickly didn't they they must have been <laughs> full of dry
0: rot or something <laughs> it's like last podcast where we was mending the bleach beacon in five minutes weren't we well, exactly yeah indeed the
5: vibration sapped my energy
3: yes I know how it is it's a pity we burnt the chairs we could have had a nice sit down
0: <laughs> I particularly
4: like the yes I think I'm going to lean by the fireplace and raise my arm up into the air and sort of Channel the tin can. What was it? Channel the tin can. Pose for the next... Um... Tin can as if it's been opened. Yeah, tin can as if as been as opened, as yeah. it's been
2: opened,
3: yeah. Tin can. Yes, let's see. I think I'll lean up against the fireplace with one arm up, suggesting the lid's been opened.
2: <laughs> yeah, the other thing about Bill's poem is, of course, this by this point in the series, he's not portrayed as being particularly bright, but he's, of course, called his poem Incandescence. So there are one or two little continuity pieces, but it does not yeah. take away from the whole. Uh, like, I do yeah. think it's a brilliant episode. There is a little
1: bit, but I don't know. I think in some episodes of Series 6, because I've had it playing on my laptop on and off all day, Bill is not quite as stupid as he is in the previous series. You know, there's a couple of salient points that he makes. He might make 107 plums out jam sandwiches before they can go out with the, the girls to the... You know, to daisies, but um, he does occasionally chip in with something sensible in in that series.
2: Of course, this is the series. This is the series that has him counting the knot holes in the shed in *Sids Mystery*.
1: <laughs> exactly. Yes, And am uh, swallowing the piece of string. But it's a great open as well, isn't it? Because uh, I was going to say the uh, Tony coming in, and it just starts with them laughing at him because he's dressed in a blue Ooh, and white right, striped, striped stocking, stocking
3: cap. cap home-woven vegetable fibre shirt, <laughs> canvas trousers and
0: fisherman rope sandals.
1: He just did it because he fancied the sandals. That's what Sid reckons anyway. It's like a yeah. wonderful <laughs> visual image, isn't it, to to put in your mind?
0: I love the line when he comes out with, we are not layabouts, we are artists, Mush.
1: Yeah, yeah, <laughs> that's a good one, isn't it? Yeah, <laughs> There's some nice little lines in there, but I think the poems are the things that, that tend to... Um, get most remembered from this show, you know. Yes, Ching-chang-chola. Yeah.
5: And Ching-chang-chola.
1: Well,
3: they're the drivers, you won't get any change out of them.
1: As long as they've got their striped horses, they're quite happy. There's some lovely little bits like that, but the wordplay is quite fun in it, isn't it? A bit creative.
4: I love the way just Tony just goes all in. Uh, as soon as his head's turned like he only found out with this about three days ago he bought more coffee suddenly he's growing his beard he's going to grow his hair one inch below the shoulder regulation length it's just so funny how he's just so quickly turned well I, i think the hancock character is like the world's
1: most impressionable man i'm sure i've said that before but there's a few isn't there where he you know he sees someone doing something he decides he's gonna you know jump in on that Idea. It's it's something that's sort of a theme throughout this series and in later series like the 1963 uh, Hancock series as well. Uh, he tries his hand at various things. So yeah, gets you into interesting situations, I suppose, being an impressionable character like that.
2: And I love the way at the end of the episode he's deciding he's going to go and make himself, set himself up a new breakaway movement. He's going to be anti everything.
3: There's bound to be another movement started up since yesterday. I'll start one of my own. A breakaway group. We'll be anti everything, the new intellectual movement to shake the world. <laughs> or shall I go to the pictures?
2: <laughs> and then he decides he's going to go to the pictures instead.
4: Yeah, yeah. It's great, or shall I go to the pictures? It's more my hammer, really, isn't it? I think uh, I think uh, my my favourite lines is um, when Bill, he's from Impressing, he goes, um, "Hi, doll, How about you, and me, whizzing down the pub? Uh, there's a piano down there and a talent night." <laughs> um, he says, I can only tolerate Bartok and Weber. That's all right, sing a couple of their songs. That won't mind.
3: There's a piano down there. It's it's talent night tonight in the saloon Bar. Are you musical? I can only tolerate Bartok and Weber. Well, that's all right. Sing a couple of their songs. The lads won mine. Absolutely <laughs> <laughs> oh,
4: brilliant.
1: That's a good one. I It's similar with the one where Tony says that he doesn't understand classical music like us Gilbert and Sullivan. <laughs> it's, it's not classical music, dear listener. <laughs> <laughs> Thank
0: you for the mansplaining there, John. Oh, wow, indeed. <laughs> I mean, you say, I mean, we said, you know, that the. Uh, the poems are what stands out here and what people remember, but there are some cracking lines all the way through it, aren't there? And they're, they're not just like one-line gags, are they? they? They are, you know, when he's talking about work, for instance, and, and he says that none of them have got a job, he says, oh, uh, work represents the establishment, and they're against that. And Sid says, well, what do they live on then? He says, oh, national assistance. <laughs> yeah. They're not against that part of the establishment.
3: Can't allow themselves to be hampered by the menial, soul-destroying labour of everyday jobs work to them represents the establishment and they're against that Well, what do
5: they live on then national assistance. oh <laughs> they're not
0: against that part of the establishment then it's not just a gag it's social commentary isn't it you know it's um, it is it, it's
1: brilliant brilliant it's sort of the character uh is what sort of informs the comedy i suppose in this one oh. i mean oh. it's like the the subsequent line from sid because sid's very anti this isn't he until he realizes he can make a a few bits of folding vapour out of it.
5: Oh, they got no objections to you going out to work and owning a house and having money then?
3: Well, the question has been raised. My having money is a bit of embarrassment to their aims, really, but they suggested I get rid of it. Well, they're doing their best to help you.
0: Um, which is uh, wonderfully performed by, by Sid. The other poem, of course, we haven't mentioned is, is the one uh, performed by Rupert, uh, which is Straw in the Wind. <laughs> Blank, Blank detail. detail. Blank Detail by Rupert, which was, of course, Fraser Kerr. And uh, in in that Cliff Goodwin book, Fraser Kerr says that uh, when that eventually was broadcast a few months later, he was doing something at the BBC and um, he went down to the canteen to get a cup of tea or whatever. And as he walked into the canteen, the whole restaurant stood on his feet and recited Straw in the Wind (laughs) (laughs) in in unison. Straw in the wind,
4: straw in the wind. Straw in the wind, straw in the wind, straw in the wind, fly, fly, fly. And uh, that's a fantastic
1: story, yeah, yeah. That's fantastic, isn't it? Yeah, because I don't know much about Fraser Kerr as an actor. I mean, he's he's in this one, but I've not seen him, you know, I sort of had a brief look at, what he's, he's done over the years. He's been Wasn't he in
0: Dad's though. army in the radio? Didn't he do some, some voice stuff? Yeah.
1: yeah, possibly. There's a few different voices in the radio because obviously, you know, um, James Beck bowed out due to being yeah. out of existence, unfortunately. So I think he was taken over by Graham Stark in that show, actually, eventually.
2: And I think he was also... Was he also in... He was in another episode on this series. The, was it The Elopement he was in?
1: Could be. Who's going
2: occur? Yeah, I think so. No. I think he was in The Elopement. Right, right. Yeah, have a look at Wilmot. I've got my Wilmot <laughs> in front of me. Six series,
1: the elopements. Oh, you've got it there, John. Yeah, he's in the elopement. Ah, weddings. Seven and
3: six, ten and six, fifteen pounds, ten. What's the difference? Well, for seven and six, you get the straightforward
1: wedding. For ten and six, we throw in a couple of horseshoes for good luck. And for fifteen pounds, ten, you get the deluxe ceremony, including a full turnout of the police pipe band, dancing in the streets by the villagers, photographs, hap. Huh? We I was listening to this series and quite a few of the episodes in this series the uh, the coprue comes round and suggests uh, Tony should renew his, TV, his radio licence in the Christmas Club you recognise that voice I, I can't quite remember which one it is but I, I have a feeling it's Wilfred Babbage and he's in quite a few of these ones actually Yeah he was quite a regular in that last series wasn't he Yeah well they all were I think Wilfred Babbage, Hugh, M- Hugh Morton, Warren Mitchell Um, It's it's quite a a good recurring cast for this particular series because obviously Kenneth bowed out after episode two due to them not giving him juicy lines, really. The other one I quite like from this one is uh, Oh, he's going to get my fist right through that beard in a minute. Well,
5: I... You're working on a thesis on the mental workings of the lower order of the species. Oh, dear. He's going to get my fist right through that beard in a minute.
1: (laughs) Sid, Sid, please, no punch-ups, not yet. Which of course reminds me you think of Warren Mitchell as clean shaven, but at the time he had a beard. Which <laughs> so she did for most of you
4: know before he became famous Ralph
1: Garnett, as well. So good to have another bearded man.
4: It's a good line when Gregory first called yes, I could he talked about the vibrations and said sort of shut down. That's a train's going by.
5: The vibrations. The house is giving off definite vibrations. That's the trains going by. <laughs>
4: Yeah, of course,
1: because they're at railway cuttings after yes. all, aren't they? So, uh,
0: isn't it? That's the reference to the studio, which is next to Charing Cross Station. Uh, a little bit of both, probably. I suppose because it's railway
1: cuttings is the address, so there's presumably next to a railway. Um, and you do hear it in a few episodes, don't you? The,
0: there, there are episodes. One episode, you actually hear a whistle of a train, don't you, going out because yeah. the the Playhouse Theatre, where this is recorded, is is right un, virtually underneath Charing Cross Station. It is.
2: Mm. And, and,
0: in, and and it is
2: still there as a theater yeah yeah and yeah. Um, we were we were very fortunate a few years ago to be able to to go and visit and uh, to go backstage and uh, look at all the, uh, the, the sort of the equipment and the machinery a lot of it is uh, quite ancient and, and and is listed so it's, uh, it's it is a brilliant theater fantastic yeah and listeners who want to learn more there's uh, quite a nice article on the members section of the Tony Hancock Appreciation website, looking at, to, with lots of photographs of the theatre and, uh, and a lot of the sort of the backstage areas. It's, uh, it is, uh, it was a lovely venue. Well, it's a lovely
1: venue. certainly is, certainly is. And uh, I think in that episode, doesn't he go, last train's going by and they won't come round again.
3: That's it then, all over the floor. Now none of us get any. And they won't come round again. Last train's just going. <laughs>
1: And they won't come round again. So it's time for the score. So what are you
0: going to give that one, Timo? I was hoping you wouldn't come to me first. Right, I think I'm going to give this an 8. I think I said earlier, it's not my absolute favourite episode and I just want to leave a bit of room in the scoring too because some I think are even better. But it is a fantastic episode, there's no doubt about it. I love the way that it's 30 minutes continuous. I think the supporting cast are superb. I think that the scripts, well, the scripts are always fantastic, aren't they? I, I, I don't think we've ever done a podcast and say we didn't like the script. I mean, it's just, um, it's a brilliant satire, and I do love these series six episodes for for being uh, more true to life and all that than some of the uh, zanier ones. That's not to say I don't like the zanier ones because I love the rail strike. Which, uh, but having said that, I, I do love this sort of episode, um, and I love the the social history with it and all that and uh, the Taking that Mickey out of the art movement and the the beatniks and all that sort of thing, I just think the subject area is just is is just a fantastic area for Gorton and Simpson to mine, and and I think that they do it superbly, and uh, I think their understanding of all these things is brilliant because at the end of the day, they, they're just a couple of lads who left school at fifteen or sixteen or whatever, you know, and. Um, had to uh, educate themselves and I, I i
1: just think they university of the sanatorium i suppose isn't it yeah
0: absolutely yeah yeah and um it, you know it's incredible the the work that they produce it's not just sitting down writing gags it's actually um you know to put it all in the context of this is is superb and it just runs as a superb script and hancock's timing and everyone else's as well is is just brilliant and the poems themselves well they are just great and uh brilliantly read out by those concerns so a hilarious hilarious episode from start to finish and so uh i'll give it a solid eight
1: well i think i was similarly thinking i was thinking earlier today i was like i don't think i can give this one a 10 it's not one of my top ones it's it's a bit more naturalistic it's a bit more like the tv series isn't it a bit more realistic a bit less madcap a bit less farce and a satire in there, but it's a bit less fast, and I quite enjoy the farcical ones, like the one we reviewed last week. So uh, I think I was thinking about an eight as well. is a, is a good gauge for it because it's a wonderful script, very well performed, lovely guest cast, and you get Fenella Fielding doing her very best sort of beatnik hippie type character before hippies were a thing. Uh, so eight's eight's pretty good, and I, I think I'll have to concur with that. It's a, it's a good solid show, not a favourite but certainly you can't argue that it's it's um doesn't deserve its critical acclaim can you
0: absolutely
4: i'm going to go a little bit lower because i feel like i've given 9s and 10s pretty much from series 1 episode 1 um i'm going to go 7 it's not that i don't like it i do like it i enjoy it i think it's very cleverly written and i do enjoy the fact that it's never really occurred to me actually that it has it's one continuous scene um there are some great lines in it it's just there are other episodes that I prefer above it. So it's it's nothing against this episode at all. I enjoy it. I think... The bar is very high, isn't it? It is very high. And you've got Warren Mitchell, who I love, Warren Mitchell. And, you know, I used to watch Till Death Us Do Parts, et cetera, when we were younger. Not that you can particularly watch it nowadays. Yeah. And Fenella Fielding... I was aware of her from the sort of the carry on films. So I, you know, I think it, it does paint a really good picture and you can imagine Vanilla Fielding's character in that um, scene with the blue eye, uh, with the uh, eyebrows to the ear rolls. Um, looks like I say, some great poems. Sid's poems are the winner for me. Um, it's just not my go-to. Maybe it's gonna grow on me and if you ask me a couple of years time, I might give it an eight or maybe even a nine. But um, I'm gonna have to say a safe seven safe
2: seven ain't bad it's mm. not bad at all I'll, i'm going to buck the trend in the opposite direction i'm going to go for a nine i really like this episode i think i like the connection with the rebel and i think the poems in this are the equivalent of the paintings in the rebel but it's, mm. it's this sort of satire on the sort of the avant-garde movement the beatniks of the late 50s the the look at the coffee shops of the day where sort of the the most off the wall and um weirdly decorated shot was the one that uh, that was going to get the most clientele and then you've got the brilliant performances of warren mitchell and fellow fielding which i think really give it a lift so for me it's a it's it's a, one of my favorites and i think it's a, a great episode so nine from me
0: i'll just pick up what sonic james said there he was sort of implying that uh, what his his favorite episode today might not be his fav- favorite episode tomorrow and that, mm-hmm. um, and um, that kind of happens to me because I. I often have Hancock on in the background when I'm um, doing the stuff on my laptop or whatever. And, uh, you know, I sometimes think, oh, I'll put on uh, the espresso bar, for example, is one of my go-tos. I love that. I love Hancock's War and Sunday afternoon at home. And then you suddenly realize after a while, oh, I haven't heard such and such of episode for a while. And you play it, and you think, "Oh, yeah, that's really good." And you start playing it over and over, and all of a sudden, mm. when it hasn't been one of your favourite, it then becomes your favourite, and you go to it. So yeah, it's very true. It's a strange thing, isn't it? You know.
1: Yeah, I don't know. I listened to it about four or five times earlier this day. I'm quite happy not to listen to it for another six months now. So. <laughs> yeah. But yeah. You through
4: cycles, don't you?
0: Yeah, I, I I I switched for whatever reason. I put on the Gourmet uh, the other day. Oh, I did. I did as well. And I enjoyed it so much. I've played it twice since, you know. And
1: um... I had to skip over that with my tummy trouble today. I couldn't couldn't bear (laughs) listening to that about these Aylesbury ducklings. Uh, (laughs) But it, it is one of those ones, isn't it, with the Poetry Society? You know, that inspired. The rebel to an extent, but also the rebel was inspired by episode two of the the very first TV series that Hancock made for the BBC, which was the Artist, and and there are the Beatnik type Bohemian characters in that as well, commenting on Tony's artwork. So it's it's a kind of a gradual idea that Gordon Simpson went back to and refined, didn't they, as as time went on? Yes. So yeah, I, I think I'd say an average of about eight points. A mean average of eight points is uh, a fair bit more than an armful, so that's not too shabby. I reckon that's about it for this week, then, so take it away, Tim.
0: Why not join the Tony Hancock Appreciation Society today? You can find us at tonyhancock.org.uk for all the information on how to join. For just
2: £13 a year, you'll have access to the members area of our website and receive four magazines a year by email, packed with information on Tony, his shows, and archive material. Members also get a digital-only bonus page supplement every quarter plus
4: occasional special editions on a single theme.
0: Or you can have printed copies of the missing page posted to your door for £16 in the UK or £26 worldwide.
1: And we're a friendly and welcoming bunch so please do join. We have reunion events
4: with archive displays and occasional Zoom quiz nights. Please get in touch. We love questions and conundrums, compliments and feedback. To do so is very easy. Send your emails to podcast at tonyhancock.org.uk
0: eye on our Twitter accounts for the latest news on the podcast and all things Hancock. We've got three Twitter accounts. They are East Team Lad, Tony Hancock Appreciation Society and Very Nearly an
2: Armful. And now for something completely different. In the next episode, we'll be looking at the final episode of the 1956 ITV series, The Tony Hancock Show, which featured Hattie Jakes in a guest role in the Death of a Duchess segment. This comedy sketch show has just been released on DVD.
1: And I have a brief chat with Lucy Hancock. For now, that's very nearly an armful, so I'll say ta-ta. It's
0: sayonara for me. Chickadee Snitch. And this is GLK London signing off for a quick coffin and a Drag.
1: Looks like your perceptive aura's gone for a burn. It didn't even
0: wobble. Didn't even wobble.
1: This has been an official podcast of the Tony Hancock Appreciation Society. Unfortunately, it was not written by Alan Simpson and Ray Gordon, whoever they are. The announcer is me, Robin Sebastian, currently appearing in the saloon bar of the Hand and Racket. Noice. Excellent. So I think that was uh, another good one. Another good one, Ronnie. (laughs) Another good one, eh, Ronnie? Ah, brilliant.